This episode of Blue Shirt Breakaway is brought to you by you. That's right, you listening to this right now. Uh, that's how this all works. We stay afloat with our Patreon, or patreon.com slash bluestrichbreakaway, where you can get access to our BSBRTs, which are our extra ec- episodes every single week, get access to our Discord, and much, much more for the price of a cup of beer. That's right, a cup of beer. Less, actually, if you're because you're in New York City if you're listening to this likely, and it's not that. It is less. It could be. Hey, whatever you want to do. We have Emily Kaplan today of ESPN talking about the Rangers. Uh, Greg and I review... Getting off the schneid is what you would say, I guess. Two, uh, two wins back-to-back. And uh, I don't know. Rangers seem good. Team seems good. I'm not worried. Let's get to it. Here we go. Hi, everybody. It's Mark Messier. And you're listening to Blue Shirts Breakaway, the number one Rangers podcast. Bush Break fans, welcome to another week of the Bush's Breakaway. I am your host, Ryan Mead, and I'm here with my co-host, Greg Kaplan. Greg, please say that the Rangers are a terrible team and they deserve to be broken up. Oh, man. Everything's terrible. Nothing nothing up is down. Down is up. Left is right. Dogs cats and, and dogs. Cats. Unbelievable. <laughs> Just terrible. Uh, before it's we get terrible. started with the show, let's do a promo real quick. If you okay. are in New York City on November 12th and you're like, damn, I'd like to watch the Rangers with Ryan and Greg. Boy, do I have great news for you. Jake Dilemmas, 7 p.m., open door. Uh, we were watching Nashville, New York Rangers, November 12th. Come see us. Jake Dilemma, New York City. See you there. Okay. On with the show. Got that Fantastic. out of the way. Yeah. Yeah. No, it'll be good. We've uh, we've traditionally done these at the Gin Mill. Um, we lost everyone. Every single one we did last year. We lost. I think we did three last year. One in the playoffs, one on opening night, and then one in season. They literally went 0-3. 0-3. Um, so we're switching it up. Yeah, but it, it's a good time. Um, no cover, no nothing like that required. Literally, you don't have to do anything. I mean, I would, I would personally like you to get a drink and have some food and enjoy yourself. But if you wanted to come, simply drink water, stare at a TV, interact with us. By all means, that is in your power to do that. They're really fun. It's a really fun way for us to get to know you guys better and to meet you guys. And uh, it's it's the first one we're doing this year. We're hoping to do more come. 2023 like the new year but this will be good before the holidays get in full swing and you guys get plans and all that shit yeah the holidays are crazy for everybody as always but then january february march we don't do shit so we'll do that then uh let's recap the last week because when you last left our heroes uh the rangers were in disarray they they were we were like okay team's not so good lost to the blue jackets great uh let's see how they go against the avalanche igor makes it uh an uncharacteristic I don't know, misplay outside of the net. Rangers end up losing in overtime to the Avalanche. The Islanders beat the living hell out of the Rangers 3-0. And then uh, all is doom and gloom in the world of New York Rangers town. But it's still, no, but before we get into the next two games, it's not accurate to say that the Islanders beat the hell out of the Rangers. It's not accurate. That's true. You're right. You're right. They didn't. They, it was a game that was very uh, low event and the Rangers were dominating at stretches and somehow they ended up losing 3-0. That's what Ilya, happened. Ilya Sorokin's a really good goalie. And I there's there is no shame in admitting that. That man can play the puck. He's very good. He's if he's not in the Shesterkin Vasilevsky tier, he's in that next tier. That he, that, he, that he on can the verge be breakout tier this year. He could be yeah. in the tier this year. For sure. Very good, very good goalie. But the Rangers were not the three nothing scoreline is not indicative of how that game looked if you watched it 
from start to finish. So in some games, that happens in all sports. You look look at look at the Nick game the other night, where I think they lost what one twenty one one hundred eight to the Cavs. That is not indicative of how that game was played. The Knicks were in that game and controlling a large portion of that game, and they lost by thirteen. That's just sports. That that shit happens. Well, then that shit happens over the weekend when the Rangers go go to Dallas. Uh, Ottinger gets hurt, gets pulled out of the game. I don't still. I still don't think they've announced. Well, it's hockey; they'll never announce what happened to him. Yeah, they've just been calling it a lower body injury. He's expected to miss it all this week, and they're not going to even evaluate him until next week. Great. Uh, Rangers took advantage of that, including the goal of the year, Julian Gauthier, uh, where I don't know how to say, do we clap? What do we do? How do we celebrate this? <laughs> I, I still haven't figured it out. I've been meaning to call my parents and uh, actually you're get, tell them. <laughs> well, I, I need, I need to know how they experience the moon landing because to me, I feel like that is what I can most accurately compare Julian Gauthier finally scoring a goal of that magnitude too, where it's, Something that, in theory, I've always thought was a possibility. I've seen it in movies. It's something of fan fiction. I understand all those aspects of it, but never once did I think I'd actually see it with my own two eyes in real time. Me either, and it's been a long time coming, a.k.a. I think over a year plus, where Gauthier... Uh, I mean, the disconnected controller joke is timeless on this podcast where it's just, hey, one-handed to the net, big boy, and see what happens. Well, this time, the goalie decided, best meet this man (laughs) mid-ice. Don't know why he thought that. Uh, Julia Goche was able to find his way and uh, anti-Ryan Stroman put it in the empty net. So good for him. Honestly, I know it isn't, but you could tell me that was Julian Goche's first goal as a Ranger, and I would believe you. I, I can't discredit you for saying that i actually don't know if it's that's it's a lie or not it's, i know it's not but i don't know if it's not true you know what i'm I mean? not sure in my heart of hearts and i won't look it up i refuse to i don't want to know i don't want to know because here's the thing i want to forget that this one happened too even though i won't this is now a core memory for me i'm gonna be on my deathbed and then someone's gonna be like rattle me off five memories to make sure you have mental fitness and one of them will be like a met game from 2007 and then the other one will be Julian Goche, and I won't be able to name three other things. Yeah, uh, lost in the shuffle this game is also Zach Jones scoring his first goal ever as a New York Ranger. And then uh, Vinny Drocek just absolutely baffling dominating this this Dallas Stars team uh, on top of uh, Mika Zabinajad and Chris Kreider uh, awake again with Kapokako. So everything's okay. Everything's all right. Yeah, everything's, everything's great. And then they played in a, uh, a an auditorium. On Sunday, boy, the camera angle did not sit well with me. We we have to we have to talk about all aspects of the Coyote game, not just how the Rangers looked in it, obviously, but just the van, the fan viewing experience of that game as well. I mentioned this on Twitter, and I, I I truly believe it to be true. If I was there, I think I'd have the time of my life. I think it'd be great. It'd be essentially like getting to sit in seats you'd never dream of sitting at MSG. And being in a more intimate crowd, um, it would be you're, you're, not that I think there's anything wrong with a casual fan going to a live sporting event. By all means, that's how you're supposed to get more people into the game. But I guarantee you the 5,000 people that are going to Coyotes games aren't just going there because they needed something to do on a Tuesday night, right? This is These are people that we are here to see hockey. This is what we wanted to do and we are willing to spend and exuberant or however much money to do it. We are here to watch a hockey game. You're cutting out 
the extra noise bullshit that, you know, it's not just MSG. It's City Field. It's Yankee Stadium. It's, it's, it's stadiums in which you're trying to appease to an audience that might not necessarily be there to just watch the sporting event happening in front of you. And I know for a fact, like, there just aren't enough seats for that fan to exist in great number in Arizona. And that would be an experience. But if I had to sit on a couch and watch 41 games of the, it just felt like an odd angle. The amount of, the amount of hyping up MSG and third, I listened to 32 thoughts today as well. The amount of hyping up that we heard of the noise in the building. It, I don't know if it's it, to me, it sounded like more Broadway play than Broadway blue shirts. Oh, you know for sure. It's not close. And listen, a lot of Ranger fans flew out there. I, I was planning to fly out there, except it was Halloween weekend, so I couldn't make that happen. And then all of a sudden, uh, what is? what do you think? Was 90% Ranger fans? I would assume, just based on the anecdotal evidence from Molly and Vince, that it was about 8-1 to one Ranger jersey to Coyote jersey. But yes. it's, it's just the experience of watching that, I compare it very much to, do you remember way back when, during the 60-game ridiculous COVID baseball season when the Blue Jays had to play Major League Baseball games in Dunedin, Florida? Yeah, and didn't they also play in Buffalo? Yeah, but Buffalo, even that was a little bit big. Like, Dunedin, every time you watched a Blue Jays game, you were like, oh, they are playing in a minor league ballpark. This, I'm sure it would be cool to be in the minor league ballpark watching the game, but if you're just watching it on your TV at home, trying to take in a sport, a regular season sporting event, I think you would, I, I found myself growing frustrated at points. If I had to do that for 41 times in one season, I could see myself coming up with reasons to no longer watch on a nightly basis and just catch up on highlights or something. Uh, yeah, I could, I could see that too. It's an embarrassing, embarrassing endeavor. I do want to go to a game there quite badly, uh, but in but everything person, else again, about it is terrible. In, the in-person experience is like a dream. And I'm sure it's great. But it is just crazy. The Rangers said the ice was really good. The locker room was poo-poo, I believe is what Ryan Reeves said. Well, the lo- I think the locker room, it's not even a locker room. It's, it's just it's, a curtain. It's a curtain. It, it's what you would expect from a college gymnasium. That's essentially, you're not going to get high-class green room. It, this is not anything meant to hold teams of this caliber and games of this caliber it's it's going to be great as it's happening the on ice aspect of it the in-person aspect of it great i'm I, if coyote fans love it i'm all for it but we're kidding ourselves if we think this is a good thing artemi panarin celebrates his birthday by scoring another three points he is on a torrid pace to start the season uh he actually got Lafreniere to go listen listen I-, I saw this a lot last week on Twitter hey how come this team doesn't drive to the net Lafreniere sacrificed his body to get to the net to get there for Panarin it happened they scored a goal they end up winning the game uh hilarious quote after the game from uh Vince was talking to Panarin he asked uh, if Panarin if, if he wanted three points for his b-day he smiled and said I'm a good guy I wanted the team to win on the assist with laugh he almost missed that. It would have broken up our relationship. <laughs> I mean, listen, what else do you want? What else and, do you want from the guy? Yeah, it's the Rangers needed to win both those games. I don't want to, I don't even want to play the hypothetical of what this podcast would have sounded like if the Rangers didn't win both. 
even if they won just the Coyote game and we were at least coming on this podcast. Well, let, let's explore win. that. That's a good that's a good question. So right I now my pan my panic meter is like a a one point five out of ten. Is it even that high? If it's, they lose it's not higher it's impossible to be higher than two. You know how I know it's impossibly higher than two? The Rangers win that game. They're second in the Metro. They have 12 points on the year. And not only that, the Rangers, who just lost, went on an 0-2-2 stretch. The Toronto Maple Leafs are trying to light everything on fire because they've lost four in a row, and they only have 10 points this year. Like, are you kidding me? Where are we? What are we doing? We're good. Uh, big, Some big games this week. Fun game versus the Flyers. The Torts thing is always going to be super fun. It's an MSG on Tuesday. And then... I would say a legitimate, real challenge, like one of those games the Rangers get up for against the Bruins on Thursday. I think that's going to be a great, great, great game. Uh, so that'll be fun. But getting back to the actual games that we watched over the past week, uh, is there anything in particular that stood out to you? For me, obviously, Kreider and Mika and Kako look very good. Uh, I think Kapo Kako is the second best winger on the team. Is that even in debate right now? Mm, Panera's number one. That's tough. I... It... In terms of Cabo Caco is exceeding expectation, which can't score points. I get it. Like I don't, I don't, I don't care. I just don't care. I don't care. Everything else. Everything. I'm done. We've, we've, I thought we've moved, moved past the point where we're only evaluating players based on point totals. Point totals don't mean shit to me. Obviously I'd love for my players to have very high point totals, but a player could be playing well and have zero points and a player could be playing like shit and have, a ton like uh the msg broadcast they kept mentioning uh, they had to mention someone on arizona and they keep bringing up clayton keller clayton keller has struggled for the past few years and he's not exactly living up to his hype but he puts up a point per game like he had 63 points in 67 games last year that doesn't make clayton keller a good player it just means he's scoring it does he's not adding to success capo is adding to success i don't care it will the points will come if he keeps playing like this, it's impossible for them not to. But to your question, do I think he's the second best winger? I think he is the winger on the team who is most clearly surpassing expectation. But I don't I still don't think he's like I still think Kreider's more important to what the Rangers are doing, if that makes sense. It does make sense. Obviously, Kreider gets back on it this weekend, and when he's on on. The guy has 52 goal potential. Will he ever get that close again? Likely not. I mean, yeah. I'm not doubting. I'm not doubting the guy, but I'm happy with 30 goals. The, I'm totally cool with that. If that's where he gets, fine. But I don't know the way Kako's just driving play right now, especially in in the offensive zone where he's just running around guys and he, the defensive, the even the forecheck. Some of the plays against Arizona where I was like, wow, Kako's really down there working him. This is awesome. It's just something I haven't really seen from him. He's got a full complete game, with the exception of putting the fucking puck in the net of which he's getting very close to close to do at this point. Well, I think if, if you, if anybody wants to pick apart something that bothers them about this Ranger team, the thing that I would say bothers me the most, but I use that word carefully where I'm not up in arms about it. And I think most of it is because guys like Hedo and Kravtsov are currently out of the lineup. It's just that there is a very, very clear line. And it's obviously there's going to be a very clear line between the top six and the bottom six. Where the top six guys, I have supreme confidence in all of them. And I and they to their credit, I think all of them are playing about as well as you could possibly expect them to play this few games into the season. What are we, twelve games in? Ten games in? I think it's ten, right? Uh ten games. 
I'm going to double check right now, but I believe it's 10 games. Yeah, I think they're 5 3 and 2. That 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 makes sense in my That makes sense. Uh they, sure. the top the top 6 is playing great. I want to touch it. I want to change anything. The points are going to come for guys like Kako and Lafreniere. I couldn't be less worried about it. However, the bottom 6, the reason why I think we would have noticed the performance and play of a guy like Gauthier no matter what, for sure. But it He's becomes really good. It becomes, I, I it, to be, him. it becomes more important because you look around that bottom six and you just don't have any expectations for anybody to do anything. And it's it, it's fine and it's good that the Rangers' top six looks great at even strength, looks even better on the power play, does all these great things. But it's the Rangers are unnaturally top-heavy to a certain extent where if a game were to be played – 100% at 5v5, half the game, they're just inferior. And that's why you need, that. that's why so desperately you need Heedle specifically back in this lineup, especially if Goche is going to keep playing at the level he's playing. Because if you could just extend your lineup to make it a, a solid top nine instead of just a solid top six, you're not going to run into these mini cold stretches that the Rangers ran into already this season. But it's just, when you only have six guys you can really lean on and really count on in in terms of your forward ranks, it hurts. And it just leaves no room for error. Let's get to Heedle and Kravstov right now. Uh, Heedle skated last week. And during the skate, at the end of it, he just says he wasn't feeling right. So he didn't come on the trip. That makes sense. I think you and I talked about on this podcast last week where it was why rush him back from potential head injury for the regular season? To me, it makes no sense. I'm sure they're going to have uh, give him the time until he feels ready. Uh, it could be this week. I don't know. I, I predicted a little bit longer than that. It's it's going to be up to Heedle and how he's healing. Kraftsoft, yet again, uh, I, I hate the Kraftsoft narrative, whatever it is. Uh, and anybody who talks about that makes no sense. Guy literally smashed his head into the boards and left the game. Probably a similar situation. Uh, so... I know Glant said he's close to ready. I don't believe Gerard Glant ever. I'm sure the two of them are doing the best they can to get back as soon as possible. But I wouldn't expect to see them this week. I, I, you have to, you know, not, not, ah, sorry, my brain just exploded. Not that you have to expect to not see them this week. It's just, if they don't show up, the team's got to be okay with that. Because head injuries are no fucking joke. Sidney Crosby obviously had one that affected his career for a very long time. And Philip Hedl is a really, really important piece for this team to go deep in the playoffs, as we saw last year. It's going to be even more important as the season goes on. So no need to rush them back. Take your time. The team's going to be fine. Igor's fine. Top six is clicking. Power plays back. And we'll get to some of the defensive stuff. But overall, like you shouldn't need Heedle and Kraftsoff back to beat the Flyers. You're going to be okay. You can figure it out. I think we're on the same page there. Yeah, not just that. It's just it's a head injury. There's no timetable for a head injury. Yeah, it's if not you like, think, you know, concussions, I think two weeks, they'll be better. Like, no, <laughs> that's not how if, this works. If you, if you sustain a head injury and you think you're ready, give it another week, then see how you feel. It, it's, to me, that, it's just, I don't, I don't know. The, the Kravstov the stuff, just shut the fuck up. If you, I got a couple people being like, oh, do you think he's not physically mature enough for the NHL? But he's no, huge. But here's he's the thing. gigantic. If, if he... Went into the board full board. He was doing the type of play that Ranger fans have been dying for someone like Vitaly Kravtsov to make, which is no regard for human life, crashing into a board, trying to win a puck in the offensive zone, 
to create offense, immediate offense. That's a play brain-dead Ranger fans have been calling for forever. And then because he was so reckless on the play, he all of a sudden sustains a head injury because a six foot three, 240-pound behemoth squished his head between the boards and his body. Like, what, what are we doing? What? If, they, if you are thinking like, oh, I don't think he's... There ain't a human being... Ryan Reeves would have gotten concussed on that play. The only reason Ryan Reeves weren't enough is because he doesn't have the speed to put himself in those positions. Not for just, sure. He got, he got smushed. Like, Jesus fucking Christ. Anybody can pick up a fucking head injury. Steve Young had, what, 17 of them in his That's playing ridiculous. career? I don't think Steve Young had the body maturity to play in the NFL, Ryan. In hindsight, I don't think he was ready. To play I think NFL he was pretty football. good. Oh, wait. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Troy Aikman is a massive human being, and he had eight in his career, I think is the number that we can at least believe Identify. he suffered from. Yeah. Yes. Jesus Christ. You could draw a line in the sand between pre-concussion David Wright and post-concussion David Wright. Like, people have their careers changed because of concussions. So if Filipino and Vitaly Krasov want to take their time coming back from a head injury, I ain't going to bitch and moan. There are other things, like, this is the perfect opportunity to find out just how much depth the New York Rangers have. How many times on this podcast do you think, over the next three months, we're going to talk about players the Rangers may need to add because we haven't seen enough from X, Y, and Z? We, we've we already warned people, It's and we talked with Emily Kaplan on this year's podcast today, where it's probably not going to be about Patrick Kane and one big guy. It's about... Do we need to, how much do we need to add around the margins or how much do we already have in house? We're finding out that Julian Goche might already be doing enough where you have one guy in house. Cool. So that's money saved where you get to go spend it somewhere else. But you're also going to see the Bobby Trevino's of the world, the Matthew Robertson's of the world. Other guys are going to be called into duty before March to figure out if they can play a role on this team and do it effectively. And it's, it's wonderful that Gauthier is getting this extra opportunity that we didn't think he would have. And it's wonderful that he is truly, truly performing when the Rangers need it most. But I like, just fucking spare me if you think Kravtsov and Heedle somehow. I even hate the Heedle is injury prone narrative. There's a difference between injury prone and unlucky. That's and when correct. You're, when you're picking up head injuries and breaking bones, that's unlucky. To me, injury prone is like soft tissue injuries that you Ham, hamstrings or ankles that continually are injured. All hamstrings, the time. hamstrings, ankles, backs, and yep. for pitchers, shoulders. Those are that's injury prone. Those are things where like your body makeup is not allowing you to do something. There but are guys you, that have talent and can't stay on the field and or or the ice, whichever you want to say here. Yes, and Heedle is not that guy. Yeah, that like the, the example I used to I, I used to get in these fights with way back in the day was Travis Darno because he he broke a foot in AAA, then got hit by a pitch in the major leagues and broke his hands. Like if you keep breaking bones, there's Travis Darno can't do what he wanted to drink more fucking milk. Like he can't <laughs> fucking do anything about that. <laughs> it just happens. And with head injuries, like Heedle broke his what what were we think it was a broken wrist. It Last was bro- uh, Kaka was the wrist, I believe. I believe Hedo was armor wrist, but yeah, Kaka was, was the wrist. But it was something physically broken. It wasn't like it. It just there's a in my head. There's a very clear difference between unlucky and injury prone. 
And when you're talking about hand injuries and you're talking about broken bones, that's unlucky. If this was a back issue, a shoulder issue, an ankle issue, a knee issue, those things, that's injury proneness in my eyes. It, it, there's a very clear line in my head. And I don't know if I'm doing a good job of describing it. Last thing I want to talk about before we get to five-star questions this week. Uh, Zach Jones, to me, just firmly has to be the number six at this point. How many more games does Lieber Hayek start this season? Over, under, four and a half. Over. Yeah, I think it's a big over, isn't it? What's a yeah. good number? Uh, it's, I think... It, it, Not that I think Zach is, Jones has really lit it up, but when, once the, the Miller and Truba pair got sent down and they were divided and Jones was able to play with Fox, he looked, obviously, playing with Fox, turns out, he looked really good when that happens. I just, the thing that really, really grinded my gears this week more than anything else was that, once again, Gerard Gallant had an opportunity here to say that he didn't have to say it was a competition. He could have just said they were letting these guys ease themselves into the season. To say it was a competition and then to like give the give the illusion that Hayek was winning said competition as the Rangers were continuing to lose, that's the only portion of the panic that I totally understood where it's like, God damn it, we're not doing this shit again. I don't... I don't think the number is fair to say Lieber Hayek specifically. I I think I'd say Jones is going to play in the neighborhood of 60 to 65 games this year. And I think a different defenseman will be given opportunities throughout the year. I I hope it's not Hayek the entire way. I'm still of the belief that the big quote unquote big move the Rangers are going to make before the deadline is bringing in a steady, reliable, boring defenseman. And I, I don't know who that is. I don't know where they're going to get him from. But you just... Let, let, me, let me spin this question on this way to you, Ryan. Sure. What are the odds in your head that the bottom pairing come playoff time for the New York Rangers is Schneider-Jones? Uh, straight up, I think like 5 to 10%. I think that's low, but I don't think it's higher than 35%. I, I just can't see. I don't know what it is, but I have Drury locked in my... like Unless Jones just comes out or... I mean, Schneider's had some troubles as well. But uh, unless Jones really solidifies himself, I can't see Drury not going to get what he considers a quote-unquote veteran defenseman to sure up the bottom pair for the playoffs. I can't. I just... It's not that I want that. It's just what I believe Chris Drury will do. I yeah, I'm not advocating advocating for it either. I just we now experience this coach enough, we've experienced Kudrury enough. I I mean we lived it. Justin Braun turned out to be the guy in the playoffs last year when Totally fine. He was fine. He was I mean, but the other thing is like I'm not saying Braun's the reason the Rangers didn't advance. It's not. It's just like you had him you had a higher variance option you could have gone with in Zach Jones. But you know the floor with that is insanely lower. With Braun, I think you had like a chance of the lineup being 5% better, but at no chance was the lineup going to be more than 5% worth. And we just know, especially in the National Hockey League, that it's not about maximizing ceilings sometimes. It's more about minimizing floors. And to me, I have a really hard time knowing how old-schooled Gallant is how set in his ways he is about certain things. I just, I can't make the mental jump to think he's going to be fine 
with a second-year defenseman in Braden Schneider and a rookie defenseman who he doesn't have full confidence to be playing over Lieber Hayek early in the season, I can't see that being a defensive pairing he's going to want to go to war with in the playoffs. Just can't that's do exactly, it. That's exactly where I'm at. It's the it's Drew and Glant both. It's not just one. Yeah, it's, and it's, it's a combined effort. Again, neither of us are saying this is what we would do. I think you and I would be perfectly fine, perfectly confident with a Schneider-Jones pairing in the playoffs. I, yeah, I think I, I'm run good it. with it. I, I We would have been good with it last year. It should have been there last year. Yeah, it was. <laughs> they were the best two. Well, I mean, you, we, we're not relitigating any Lundquist conversations here. But of the guys available in that Ranger locker room, the two best that could have played on that bottom pairing were Schneider Jones. And I think that's going to be the case once again this spring. I just know what this coach likes and what this GM likes. And I, I, I honestly, I'd be stunned. I'd be stunned if the defensive bottom pairing come April 25th was Joe Schneider. That would legitimately surprise me. Uh, let's go to five-star questions. There's a couple of them that aren't really relevant anymore, so I'm not going to read all of them. Um, for example, like David asks, is it time to break up Power Play 1? Uh, no. And then do- <laughs> Dr. Zayas, who is a meme master in our Discord, asked, like, when's it time to panic? And the answer is not now. Well, okay, um, so about, but about the Power Play 1 point, I had this thought... Um, as I was watching the games of being like, would I do something different to specifically get a guy like Kako on that top unit? And one, probably not, even if push came to shove. Th- those five guys, Trocek, Fox, Zabana, it's Jeff, too Benary, good. Ryder, it's... it's too good. But not. it's not just that, Ryan. It's just that specifically with Kravtsov and Heedle out, like Barclay Goodrow and Jimmy VC are getting second power play unit time. And that's just the biggest reason why, like, no, you don't break up the top power play unit. Because even if you're getting Kako on there, who am I demoting? I'm probably demoting Trocek. And then I have Trocek's going to have to make something happen with Goodrow and VC. Come on. What are we doing? Yeah, we're not doing that. Uh, the power play is too good. I, of course I want Lafreniere and Kako on that first power play. They just can't They can't find a way there. They can't do it. It's, it is not Kako and Lafreniere's fault that the Rangers have Panarin, Fox, Zibanejad, like, and then Trocek, is, he's just been so much better. I, I made this comment. I'm curious your take. I, I can't tell if it's my bias because I know I have it, especially when it comes to Trocek, but Ryan Strom was never this active on the Rangers' top power play unit. Trocek's everywhere. He, he It feels like he understands as long as Zibanejad's in his corner, Fox is up top, and Panarin is doing whatever he wants to do with the puck, that he kind of has free reign to just rover and get in people's fucking way in different parts of the ice. And he can just beeline to certain corners if he feels like he needs to get to a certain corner. Strom, to me, was kind of just like hovering, whereas Trocek is playing with a purpose and understands that he can explore space in such a creative way that I never saw Ryan Strom do on the top power play unit. You're not wrong on this, and it's not just the power play. It's also on the second line. And you'll see Trocek do things that Ryan Strom just couldn't do. And that, that's whether it's the forecheck or trying to create in ways that uh, that Strom couldn't. Uh, let's let's be honest. Trocek is just a way faster skater than Ryan Strom. He also is a better skater than Ryan Strom. And that that's helps him not only on the power play, but also forechecking and pushing, the, pushing that play down uh, with Panarin, where he's like, okay, Panarin knows how fast he can go. 
And Panarin kind of adjusted his game to Ryan Strom. Don't get me wrong. He made it work. But the the Trocek and Panarin are starting to really feel off each other right now. Uh, And the speed and the skill is quite scary. I I agree with you. It's been a a significant upgrade. Ryan Strom definitely had the chemistry with them a little bit better. But as Trocek becomes more comfortable over time, I I really think it's going to click in a big way. And I can't see them breaking them up ever not once the entire year unless someone's injured well the, the, so the difference in my head it's like ryan strom's a really good student where if you give him a curriculum he's going to study that curriculum he's going to execute that curriculum and he's he's going to be a successful student in terms of the information you are providing him whereas vincent trocek is the kind of student where not only is he going to absorb all the information you're giving him but he's going to come up with some theories on his own and he's going to learn by trial and error as well, where he's not afraid to do some things. Whereas Strom, Strom got to a point where it's like, I'm comfortable being really good in these different aspects. And Trocek's like, I know I'm good in these spots, but what if I also did this? And I think that just psychological difference is so noticeable to me on a nightly basis. You mentioned earlier three names that I'm going to mention again. Uh, Brettley asks, Hank got asked about his team, this team versus the team he played in the cup window, and it got me thinking, how many players from this squad added to those Hank teams do you think it takes to get over the hump? The answer is just Matt Zuccarello, one time. But uh, it's just, if you added Mika, Panarin, and Fox to those teams, it's over. It's over. That's yeah, it. I mean... <laughs> Those are the three. Well, it's... There's no one else. As much as, much as we love those teams, the thing we loved about those teams is like, we've talked about this before where like yep. this team's ceiling is ridiculously high, but those teams floors were ridiculously high. Like the Rangers, they might not have had a true first line, but they were playing with like three second lines. So they, they were just deep beyond all recognition, but they didn't have those star players who could just make plays on their own. Even Rick Nash at that point of his career just wasn't that they needed him to be that guy. And he just wasn't that guy at that stage in his career. Like if, if this Chris Kreider wasn't playing on that team instead of that Chris Kreider, and you had Fox, uh, Fox Panarin and Zibanejad with him. Like those are the only four you would really need to be like, Oh shit, we're going to win multiple cups. That's exactly it. Obviously, you can pick some nits and be like, well, obviously, I'd rather have Kapakako than my guy Benoit Pouliot, or I'd rather <laughs> I'd yeah. rather have Alexi Lafreniere instead of Derek Dorsett. Like, sure, but if we're talking about guys who are just like... A bare minimum, this team's a dynasty. Those are the three. There you go. Okay. I honestly think you could just add Panarin, and it probably gets there. It, the answer is, like, even if Matt Zuccarello was healthy, they probably win that cup. That's what I'll always say for the rest of my life. But if you add Panarin to that team, it's fucking over. That's yeah, it. yeah. Uh, Adam Furlog asks uh, an extended question, which we'll save for another time. It's He says, build the roster from 2014 to 2022. Uh, no salary cap. That's a full OT, my man. We'll do that another day. Uh, AZK3000, is it worth shuffling the lines so that we have a line of Lafreniere, Trocek, and Kako? I think there's merit to a line with Vinny and the two youths. I, I, I don't. I, I know this question was asked when Kreider was more snake-bitten than anything else i i think you're kind of just you have fine china and you're just putting different plates in different seats but i don't think the results are necessarily going to be better or worse i think it's going to be more of the same like jung, jung, juggling the top six i don't think at even strength is going to net you more goals than you think it does it 
I, I, the Rangers aren't having a problem creating goal-scoring opportunities. We've said this multiple times. They're taking plenty of shots. There is a huge difference between what the top six is doing and what the bottom six is doing. But I'm also not taking any players out of my top six and putting them in my bottom six because that would require me to take someone in my bottom six and put it in my top six. And I got to tell you, the six players in the bottom six, even with as well as Gauthier is playing, there's a reason why they're in your bottom six. You don't want them getting more minutes. So it's until Hedo comes back and until Kravtsov can come back and you really deepen that lineup, it's crazy to me that the best third line the Rangers could possibly have this year is Kravtsov, Hedo, and Gauthier. Like, that's a wild statement to say. But if that's the Rangers' third, like, if that was the Rangers' top nine, I'd, I'd, Ryan, we'd come on the show and have nothing to complain about. I mean, that does sound pretty potent. Uh, it sounds like it has a lot of offensive ability. Well, Which actually brings us to our next question, real quick, before yeah, we continue, because yeah, yeah. it actually goes right into it. Uh, this is from Traveling Sports Doc. I can't believe I'm about to suggest this, but would it be so wrong about turning Julian Goche into Jim... Jim, Jim is he, I'm reading what he says. Jimothy VC 2.0? Have him work on the penalty kill and ask him to do everything but and anything but actually putting the puck in the back of the net. Well, that is one of his abilities. Like He, he does draw penalties by doing that. But I, I do believe you're right by saying... If he could work on the two-way game, become a PKer, and do the things that Jimmy Vc has done, and maybe even get mentored by Jimmy Vc, he could be a suitable NHL player for a good amount of time. Yeah, I, vis- I, I strongly, strongly disagree. I think what's making Julian Gauthier so successful this stretch that he's on right now is the illusion of offense. It's that you think this huge brick shithouse with fucking blazing speed who barrels down the ice and charges towards the net. You think every time he does it, if you're an opposing player, like, Jesus fucking Christ, this guy's going to score on me, and there's nothing I can do. Now, we as Ranger fans know that he can't turn right or left. So it's just a straight line, it's just a straight missile, and he can't hold the puck and score the puck through the goalie himself. However, it, it's, it really is that term illusion of offense where, like, Jimmy VC was never that type of player. He was never a bull in a china shop like Julian Gauthier is. It's so important for the Rangers to have a guy like Gauthier who plays with VC that a team has to go, wait a second, do I have to prepare for that guy? Do I have to game plan for this big fucking oath? Do I have to have something in mind to stop this guy from scoring down my throat every night? Turning him into a player that's more defensively responsible and it it kind of neuters what he does well. Like he draws penalties because he's always trying to crash the net. And we're, how many times do we hear people complain about players not necessarily crashing the net last week? Like Gauthier is the wet dream of an ideal hockey player. It's just like, like all your good sex dreams. When you wake up, it's never as good. And it's, it's truly Gauthier. one of those situations with Gauthier. I want to change a thing about his game. Not, would, let's get to ESPN's <laughs> I, I honestly, I honestly want to change anything about his game. I want to ask him to do anything more. I think it's super important that he continues to be a guy with a vision towards the net. And that's going to be even more important when he's playing with another guy who thinks exactly like that, like Philip Heedle. And it's going to be great when those two players sync up and play together if Gauthier can stay at this level. But no, I have no interest in telling Gauthier to change his game and become a more... Like, yeah, I want him to play better defense, but I don't want it at the expense of what he thinks he's doing offensively. 
everybody, every specific player with the few exceptions, like, you know, the greats, Mike Trout, LeBron James, Swing Gratzky, does one or two things very, very well. Daniel Vogelbach, and yeah, absolutely. I Daniel Vogelbach, yeah. The, the, he's incredible. <laughs> but yeah, Julian Gauthier has one special ability, is that move. And he does it extremely well. You Julian, cannot remember that from his arsenal. Julian Gauthier truly is the greatest 80% of a hockey player that's ever existed. It's just when you ask him to do that last 20% that makes certain players special, we just haven't seen him do it yet. Doesn't mean it's, he's not going to get there. That's why he, he beat is. up Kravtsov last year. It's what they saw. It's what they. It's not that they don't like Julian Gauthier. The only person that doesn't actively like Julian Gauthier is Rick Carpinello. That's it. <laughs> it's just Rick. God, Rick, Rick fucking hates him. He still hates him. It's, it's, Rick, Rick hates Carter. It's incredible. The things he, Rick, Rick has truly become... Uh, I love him to death, but he really is like the oldest man on Twitter. I, I kind of wish he'd write an article like once every two months. Just, just for, for fun. Just for Just us. for me. Yeah. yeah. I, Elon, I Elon want... Musk will let him just post beyond 280 characters, right? That's yeah, gotta be something he'll get the, the Rick tag. It'll just be Rick's face next to his name instead of a verification button. It'll just be Batman. Oh, there's, there's be... no, the biggest lock of the century, by the way. No fucking chance Rick is paying 20 bucks a month. To keep that verified tag on him. Eagle. <laughs> Eagle. Uh, let's get to our guest, Emily Kaplan of ESPN. Great interview. And uh, it turns out she knows who we are. That's insane. So uh, let's get to that right now. Transition. Hey, we're back with our first guest. We have Emily Kaplan of ESPN, national NHL reporter. Emily, thanks so much for joining us. It is my pleasure. And, you know, I said this before we went on air, but it would be um, negligence if I didn't say it on air. Um, I appreciate you guys, and I think you do a great job. So thanks for having me on, and it's a pleasure to join you. Appreciate you lying off the rip. Uh, so let's <laughs> <laughs> let's start with your actual thoughts. Uh, the Rangers have had a uh, hot start to the season, and then everything went to poo-poo. And from there, uh, we're back. Now we're at top of the Metro, tied with the Devils. There's been uh, turmoil among the fans. Everybody's uh, The world is falling. We're the best team in the NHL. What is your impressions of the Rangers so far? You know, I think they started off insanely well um, and maybe exceeded expectations and maybe um, it was a little bit of a mirage. Like, they're not this good, but they are a very good team. And then you they see things like shooting percentage fall and puck luck's not there. And, you know, some of the young guys starting to find their feet and, and, and seeing a little bit of struggle. But the truth is, this is a very good team. It's still a very young team, especially on the blue line. It's crazy to me that Jacob Truba is their oldest defenseman. Um, they're going to figure it out. And this is a team that I expect to make another playoff run. Um, I expect them to have a couple bumps along the way, but I think they're a great team that never can count itself out in games. They can always come back. That's what we saw in last year's playoff, that resiliency, their ability to score with their back against the wall. And that's exciting as a fan. Emily, I think one of the big consternations in Ranger circles about this relatively slow start comes down to the fact that this is a team that went to the Eastern Conference Finals last year, was a goalpost away from being up three games to none on the Lightning. So there's this, this feeling that this regular season is more of a formality than it's ever been, which leads to the question, do you, in your opinion, think this Ranger team as currently constructed is better or more suited for a deep playoff run than the one we saw in April, May, and June of last year? I think they are. Um, 
they lost a lot of pieces. And I think that Chris Drury and his management team um, probably did better than any other management team at the trade deadline of the pieces they picked up, whether it was Andrew Kopp or Tyler Mott, you know, Feng Fratano during the season of, of guys that came in and, and made that instant impact. At the same time, um, I like the pieces they got this year. I think Vinny Trocek fits their hardworking model. I think he's been great so far. Um, and the truth is, experience matters and all of these young players now have this experience under their belt they've been there they've done that we see guys like Capococco looking bigger stronger more confident in this year um and then they also accrue cap space by the day and every day the dollar uh the rangers get a little bit richer so that they can make those moves once again at the deadline and i expect them to be active so i do think they are as well positioned if not better positioned than they were last year they're in a weird spot right now because Kravtsov keeps getting injured in uh, strange ways. Obviously, he he hurt himself and now he's out day to day again. He might be back soon. Uh, that allows them, or rather, restricts them because they have 23 uh, members on the roster and now they have to send somebody down. They've been playing Julian Gauthier again, former first round pick, who they've uh, tried to get rid of multiple times and tried to just, but he keeps coming back and doing the same one handed to the net move over and over again. Um, do you have any thoughts on Julian Gauthier as a player overall? Because mostly. Uh, he's been one of those players that New York Ranger fans can't really figure out if they want him on the team or not. Yeah, he's one of those players that's kind of in that like fringe purgatory where like, you know, he does belong on an NHL roster, but on a team like the Rangers, where again, there's Stanley Cup aspirations for a long playoff run, you're like, does he really fit? But they don't want to give him up for nothing. So he's in that weird area. Um, I like the kid, you know. I think there's a lot to like about him. You know, the fact that he does have a great history with his juniors, the fact that his parents are bodybuilders and, you know, he's always the first guy in the gym and, and always kind of that strength hero. But the fact that, you know, he's stuck with it. And, and you know, I think it can be really challenging mentally to be in the position that he's in. Um, And, you know, you can want out and you know that you're being dangled out there. But the fact that when he does get an opportunity, especially this year, he's made the most of it. Um, he's a guy that, you know, probably deserves to stick around. And I wouldn't be shocked if he remains in their bottom six for the rest of the season. Emily, I want to I, I do. I want to change um, change lanes real quickly. I, ESPN's done two Ranger games already. Obviously, you guys had, I think, the entirety of their playoff run last year. We joke on this show about how Gerard Gallant loves to just not say anything we, <laughs> to a point where we actually joke that he is one of the most brilliant liars that's ever existed in the coaching ranks. You have the unique responsibility of having to try to get something out of this man mid-game. Can you walk us through how you try to craft questions that you think Gallant will actually answer knowing that he's a guy that, especially in the moment, just never wants to say anything? Yeah, I am. Um... You know, there's different expectations for all coaches, right? Um, some relish in this opportunity to show off their personality, spin their yarn or their narrative about their team, um, understand the role of, of bringing viewers inside the game and closer. And like a perfect example of that is John Cooper, who I've covered a lot as well. Um, Gerard Galland is on the other side of the spectrum. He is so nice, so pleasant to talk to, like especially in our pregame chats, which are more on background. Um, and then he's so good, like you said, at saying absolutely nothing, but he'll say it really fast. So you feel like there's some substance there and then he'll smile. So like you're kind of disarmed in that way. Um, so it is a challenge. My philosophy always with these interviews is lean, open and neutral. I view it's that no one wants to hear my opinion. No one cares my observations. And hey, do you agree with me? I want to know exactly what they're feeling in that moment. So I feel like 
I usually get the best out of them um, when I keep it very thin, very lean and neutral. It's like, what are you seeing? What are you liking? What are you not liking? You know, maybe one area of the game that I try to focus on. Um, I think my best moment with Gallant yet was last year and the deciding game of the playoffs when I asked him uh, his decision to (laughs) break up the kid, scratch Paco, and I believe it was bring Dryden Hunt in. Um, and I said, can you take me through that thought process? And he just said no. Um, and, you know, maybe that was rude for some people. I thought it was great television. And I think even in just that one word answer, it kind of told you everything you need to know that it was a delicate decision that he wasn't going to share with the group. And truth is, we're like months later now. And I don't think he's ever really explained it to Capo Caco either. That's just who he is. So sometimes like it's not the loquacious and long and flowery answer. That's great. Like that to me is good TV. And I did my job. Yeah, I was, I, I'm so happy you said that because that's exactly what I was going to bring up. My favorite moment of the playoffs with your interviews is when he just said straight up no. And, and you're just like, okay, thanks. It's like, and, well, that's great. Now we and, know a lot more about Gerard Gallant. And I'm so happy you brought up John Cooper because it's the dichotomy that always makes me crack up where it always feels like you talk to Cooper first. And he just he gives his vibe as a television lawyer where he just has a lot to say and he says it very colorfully. And then you go to Gallant. It's like, hey, what'd you have for breakfast this morning? He just goes, food. exactly but you know one of our big platforms with espn when we had the rights is to grow the game through storytelling and in storytelling you need characters um and both of them are incredible characters they're different characters um and they they show their character in very different ways but i think they're both excellent for the game and you know even if galant isn't quite as wordy or loquacious or lawyerly as john cooper is um i find a lot of value in him and i have a lot of respect for him as well Let's go back to the the Metro and back to hockey for a minute here. The Metro last year was decided by, I think, like mid-December. It's like, okay, when are the playoffs starting? We have five more months of just the Rangers, Capitals, Penguins, and Hurricanes just sitting there waiting for the playoffs. This year, seemingly, it's a little bit more competitive. And the reason I say that is because I think the Devils might be a real team. The Flyers are off to a hot start. I do not think that stays around. CBJ is struggling a little bit, but it seems like it's going to be a five-team race. Is the Metro right now the best division in hockey? I have a hard time saying that because I just look at the Atlantic division, and there's so many teams in that division that I'm like, you deserve to be a playoff team. You deserve to be a playoff team. I don't know. Emily, Um, the Leafs play there. They're not that good. Yeah, 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 yeah. They don't look that good (laughs) right now. We'll see what they look like mid-season. And, you know, I'm not that hot on the Devils right now. Um, Their start is great, and it's kind of unexpected at this moment. I think it's a bit of mirage. I think goaltending, I'm not sure I totally believe in. And I'm a bit worried about some of their injuries already, like Palat just not being there. And I just, I don't know if I'm really firmly believing that they are a playoff team, even though they have played like that over the last week and a half. So um, I'm sticking with my pick of the Atlantic is slightly better, but the Metro is going to be uber competitive as well. On that note, Emily, we often talk, obviously we have a Metro and Ranger slanted view on the show, but we, Talk about the East being one of the, I mean, it's just clearly the better conference. But is there a team that we overlooked this summer as being like, oh, they're just not going to be as good? And is it the Boston Bruins? Did we not give Boston enough credit because Marshan was going to start injured? McAvoy's still out hurt. Pasternak, you got contract discussions going on. Did we all just sleep on Boston this year? Or was this just a specifically... Greg and Ryan sleeping on Boston thing. No, we all slept on them. And, you know, my next Rangers game is this Thursday. You'll get me and the crew again uh, with the Bruins at the Garden. That game is on ESPN Plus. So yeah, I, am accordingly. So, I am so good at these in, inadvertent advertisements. These yeah, are my- exactly. I'm a company <laughs> woman. I'm a Disney cast member. This is what I do. Um, but, yeah, no, we all slept on them. I slept on them. And I think, you know, 
their two most important players, you could argue, are Marchand and McAvoy, and they were going to be out for a long period of time. Marchand's just a psychopath. He figured out a way to beat rehab. Um, he loves the game so much, and he's so good. And the fact that he looks so great coming back from double hip surgery is pretty insane and should scare everyone. Um, but it's the depth of the roster that I think we also miss in um, – Un, like just mis uh, underestimated. Um, you know, firstly it's the goaltending. I think that a lot of people don't realize that when Jeremy Swayman and Linus Allmark are on their game, um, they're a very very good tandem. But like a guy like Nick Felina, who everyone's writing off last year, like oh he had two goals, he's totally washed. Well, he was dealing with a lot of injuries and didn't have a full off season of training. They put him on waivers, he survives, and now all of a sudden, look, it looks like Nick Felino, the Columbus Blue Jackets again. So. They're a great team. They've always had a really strong culture, I think. Um, Whatever it was with the coaching change, and I don't want to go in full behind the scenes and speculation there, but they're on the right track now with Jim Montgomery, and they are as much of a contender as anyone right now. So the Rangers, obviously, I think are a solid team heading into the, the stretch here of the rest of the goddamn season. Now... There's this one player that just keeps coming up, Emily. You're never going to believe this. His name is Patrick Kane. He's been linked to the Rangers for two-plus years now. Greg and I are big on the we-can't-see-it-financially situation. The Blackhawks would have to eat half his salary. They would probably need a three-team. It would probably be have to be one of the most creative NHL trades ever. Can you explain to Greg and I why he's still linked to the Rangers in a big way? Um, I can give you one good reason. Um, besides the fact that his... Nickname is Showtime, and he'll love the bright lights of Madison Square Garden, yada, yada, yada. Um, I live here in Chicago, so I've gotten to know Patrick a bit of covering, you know, being around the team. And I know that he says his favorite line mate ever, the line mate he felt like understood him, could keep up with him, that they had the best chemistry, is Artemi Panarin. And I think he wistfully thinks of those days where he and Artemi Panarin were creating that magic together. So more than anything else, I think one He's a winner. He wants to win. He's waiting it out right now to see which teams look like they have a really good shot at the Stanley Cup because if he's going to, you know, uproot his family, he's got a young child. If he's going to do this for a couple months, he wants to make sure it's worth it. But B, there's some kind of comfortability of knowing who your line mates are going to be and guys that you've played with before. Um, And I do think that pull of being able to play with a bread man again is significant. Before we go into more specifics about what the Rangers may or may not do, outside of Patrick Kane at the trade deadline. I do, I, I'm curious, last year being ESPN's first year in the new TV deal, walk us through what trade deadline day is like on your perspective. Because, I mean, Ryan and I, we come from big baseball backgrounds. We understand how crazy that day could be on the baseball side. Um, we have a lot of friends that are in basketball circles, and that day with Woj is just mayhem. But now ESPN has Weeksy, who's becoming this, I don't know if it's like part insider, part meme, but... What is what is trade deadline day like in the ESPN building from the hockey side of things? Well, I get to sit next to Kevin Weeks, so it is entertaining. I'll tell you that. Um, watching to see him, if he's going to sit under the desk, behind the desk, in the closet, in the production room, like where he's going to do his little videos is highly entertaining. But, um, you know, it's stressful. It's exciting. Um, you know, I think it's one of those days that there's always all this hype and hoopla and, oh, my gosh, is there going to be this movement? And then you remember – you know, hockey's not quite the same with the NBA and the NFL. There's not quite the pay- player empowerment movement. And a lot of time there's smoke of, you know, these big shakeups. And then it kind of is met with a dud. And usually, you know, the names that we've heard for months, like the Claude Giroux last year or whatever it was, will get moved. But there's not much surprise after that because those big moves that, you know, require draft picks and multiple pieces often 
happen over the draft or over the summer when teams have more flexibility. That's just the truth of it. Um, with my job, you know, I'd like to break more news. It's an area that I've delved into. It's really, really difficult, um, you know, and, you know, especially new in the game, you realize that people have longstanding relationships, pe- things get fed to certain people, a lot of Canadian insiders who've been doing this for a while for certain reasons, and breaking in is challenging, and it can be a slimy game, but I'm trying to get into it, so I get my hands dirty. I'm annoying the hell out of everybody that I know on my phone. Um, I think one thing that I keep having to remind myself of my job is my job is to be annoying. It's okay to be annoying, but, um, you know, harassing the agents and the teams and the people that you think might move. And if you get something, you feel so good and so proud of it. And then people only care for 30 seconds because they're on to the next one. So that's a little bit of insight into what a crazy, hectic, emotional day it is. And then you leave and you're like, wait, did anything really happen? Or did I actually do anything? Or am I just throwing dust into the wind? Did I actually do anything is half my life. Um, now, now, listen, the, the market is open for you. 25% of NHL news gets broken by social media teams. Like that is, it is right there for you, Emily. You got this. Like, there are a lot. Yes, good, good numbers there. Yeah, listen, I'm a stats guy. Big analytic, blue bar, good, red bar, bad. That's as far as I go. So <laughs> uh, let's talk about what the Rangers do need to add. If it's not Patrick Kane, the Rangers are kind of weak on defense right now. Obviously, if Zach Jones and Lieber Hayek as their 6'7 defenseman, uh, do you see them maybe adding a veteran defenseman at the, t- the trade deadline or maybe a cheap forward if it's not Patrick Kane? Yeah, um, you know, center depth, I always wonder about, and, and centers are hard to come by, but if there is a veteran center that can, you know, fortify them in that position, I would not be shocked if that's the, one of the ways the Rangers go. Um, veteran defense makes a lot of sense. You know, um, Zach Jones has been up and down, as you guys have seen, to begin the season. I think there's a lot of upside there. There's also a lot of concern of saying, you know, he's a very small kid, maybe his skill set, we're not sure how he's going to hold up. Just making sure that you fortify that position, because Hayek, you know, he's been okay, but um, I, I think Rangers fans would like a little bit more certainty there, for sure, and I think management <laughs> would as well. Um, Ryan, he seems like you want a little bit of interjection there. I know. I just whenever I hear Lieber Hayek's name, I just laugh. He like Greg. Greg will tell the story, but he's the he's the best story in sports. It's yeah. unbelievable. I'll 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 interject Emily because okay. we we ask we ask everybody from Ranger Connections this question, and the answer is always like I've never seen anything like this before. You come from a national background. You're dealing with 32 teams. You're dealing with an entire league. Have you ever ever seen anything like how the New York Rangers handle Lieber Hayek in your life? It makes no sense. It's unlike anything I've ever seen in sports. It's a truly one-of-one situation, and I'm dying to know what the national perspective of Lieber Hayek's tenure in New York is like. He's survived three years. He's survived three years. Yeah, no, there are these players in the league, though, and you know, I'm struggling to come up with examples off the top of my head. I'm sure the second we stop recording, I'll like text you guys both, five of them. But um, there are guys that can be kind of cockroaches. They survive coaching changes, management changes, and, you know, especially when they're a high first round pick or a high draft pick, you want to see them succeed. You know, you kind of flash and go. And sometimes it is best just to cut ties. But you're right. It is a unique situation. And I'm not we don't sure. even hate labor Hayek, Emily. We just want to make this clear. It's just a fascinating story. Like Ryan Reeves, like we don't think he's the best hockey player of all time, but he's clearly providing a lot to the locker room, whether it's releasing Shesterkin, the entertainment value, keeping the spirits up. And then there's like Lieber Hayek. And you're like, okay, um, all right, so we didn't waive you because, and last year we kept you instead of crafts off because, and you've also survived this because, and we just can't answer those questions. You still got to justify that trade with the Lightning many a years ago, hey? I, it's, it's been lost, well, like Neil in Dallas. But I, I will I will say, like, it, everything does feel like it goes back to the McDonough trade where the Rangers went out of their way to say, 
the guy we really wanted in this deal was Lieber Hayek. And now it's yeah. Lieber Hayek and Carl Henriksen. Those are the only two guys left from that trade. Lundqvist is gone. Howden is gone. Nemesnikov is gone. Uh, they, they've moved on from everybody. And they're like, nope, Hayek, that's it. This is it. This is our guy. We're not going to play him, but he's going <laughs> to be here forever. No, Sorry, we're having fun. Right. Yeah, it's crazy. The, the thing is, though, and, you know, a lot of the management group is the same from that Ryan McDonough trade, but the GM is different. And, you know, maybe at this point, there's not that emotional tie of like, hey, I made this trade. I still need to justify it. I don't know. Very, very strange. Uh, is there a team in the Metro? Uh, you, I said you're not you're not high on the Devils. How do you feel about the Washington Capitals? Because I feel like that's a team that might fall out this year, but you seemingly have like the same four going into the playoffs. Yeah, the Capitals are one of those teams. They're a wild card for me. You know, um, without Tom Wilson until at least December, that's tough. Um, I think he's one of the unicorns in this league. No one can emulate what he does. Very similar to me, like Brad Marchand. Um, you know, they're also without Nicholas Backstrom, who has a long road back. He had, you know, hip surgery as well. It seemed a little more um, intrusive or intense, or maybe he's just in a different position than Marchand was. For them, it all comes down to goaltending. Darcy Kemper is good, um, you know, but rarely do you see a Stanley Cup winning team part with their goaltender like that. And, you know, it kind of makes you wonder some questions of where he's at. And if it holds up, cool. If not, I don't know. This is a team that's kind of trying to maximize what they still have left in this veteran core. And it's getting older and older. And maybe, you know, all of these first round picks that they had traded away along the years are finally catching up to them. And, you know, it's, it's a team that's just a big question mark to me. I wouldn't be shocked if in the middle of the year they go on a run. Um, you know, Peter Laviolette's a great coach. Uh, there's a lot of great veteran players who still have a lot of talent. I think their blue line is really underrated. Uh, people don't really talk about their blue line that much, but I think it's quite good. Um, but I also could see it kind of falling apart for them. They're one or two injuries away from being a bit of a disappointment. Well, Emily, I mean, we, we know all well who needs Darcy Kemper when you have Alexander Georgiev. And <laughs> I think the Avalanche just... They just want to see if they can make it more challenging on their way to the Cup this year. Uh, speaking of goaltenders, obviously Igor Shosturkin had one of the best single seasons in NHL history in terms of what a goaltender does in the crease and what he means to his team. Some Ranger fans have been nervous about the start to his season. Are you? Because Ryan and I, I think, are very firmly in the no camp. Yeah, I'm team no as well. I mean, look, maybe a mental error here or there. Maybe he hasn't been like outstanding with a 950 save percentage or some of the ridiculous numbers that he was booing the team with last year. But I think if you ask any guy in the league, name the top goaltender. I think still Andre Vasilevsky tops that list. I would be shocked if Igor Shosturkin um, is missing out on any player's top three. I think he's that good. Um, the talent is there. The work ethic is there. Um, you know, we always worry about sophomore slumps. I mean, he's been around, though. He's fine. Um, so I'm not worried at all. Final question for me. Is there a West Coast team when Ranger fans are up late and the Rangers have already played that the Rangers should be paying attention to, whether it's just like the funnest team on the West Coast or like a, just a team to watch? You know, the Oilers for me this year, they're like the team that like, they're kind of like the Maple Leafs and the drama and the saga. Like, can they actually get it done? But unlike the Maple Leafs, I actually believe in them. And I think they've got a, a lot more talent. I think they figured out um, maybe how to spread their forward group out a bit better. I think Evander Kane um, helped them a ton. Zach Hyman looks great. Um, but it's the Leon and Connor show. And every time I watch them, I leave a bit more impressed. And as long as goaltending holds up, um, I don't see why they can't make a very, very long run this year. Final one for me. Well, final two, because I, I need to find out whose house we're having Thanksgiving at this year. But the final <laughs> real final real question for me, uh, be honest with us. Did the billboard make news in ESPN circles last summer? Wow. 
The billboard. Oh, well, this the, is not a good start. Uh-oh. No, uh-oh. The, we put up a billboard for Jack Eichel to come to New York. Didn't really oh, work out. Yes. Greg might, Greg might have lost his job. <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> so. When I said you guys did great work, I wasn't. I totally forgot about this. Maybe I need to reassess my... Uh... Well, Jack Eichel didn't come to the Rangers, so honestly, very, very easy to forget. Yeah, didn't really no. Work um, honestly, that's fun, though. And I, I love that you guys did that because... These are the type of things, again, like the storylines, the petty drama, the player movement, like this is what fuels the NBA and the NFL. And I want to see more of this in the NHL. And I think, you know, Jack Eichel was a great example of the player empowerment movement, guys saying like, hey, I know what I want to do with my body and your team is not right for me and I want to get out. Um, that's cool. Fan bases want to get in on it and buying billboards. That's awesome. So um, I still think you guys do great work. Can I, I, I'm going to ask one more question because now it just came to my head. And this is something I always think about when you say like petty drama and player empowerment because I love this stuff. This is what I live for when it comes to hockey. Is there any chance that the NHL ever agrees to and the players union ever agrees to like a shorter term contract? Because eight, eight year contracts, while they're fun for teams and obviously when you lock up your young stars, that's awesome. The movement just doesn't happen in the way it should and like it does in other leagues. It just does not go down. Uh, like a, like a five-year max, something like that with a higher cap? I have no idea. Money's Yeah, worse. I'm not going to say never. Um, And, you know, right now they are looking for a new Players Association head, and maybe that person comes in with completely new ideas and a great way to shake up the sport. My understanding, though, of the way players think and their ethos, they like security. Uh, they want to know where they're going to be. Um, That's why a lot of times, like, you get all excited, like, oh, this guy's going to sign there. And like, oh, wow, he re-signed with his team for seven or eight years, and and that's what he settled on. So I don't think the appetite is there to shorten it, unfortunately, uh, for the fans' perspective. Um, I think guys just appreciate that security too much. So the appetite would not be from them. Got it. Emily, can't thank you enough for coming and taking the time today. Anything you want to plug other than obviously all the games on ESPN this season? ESPN and ESPN Plus and ABC. Sorry, uh, my, no, my apologies. It, um, I am just excited to get back at it. I'm appreciative of all the fans. You know, year one for us was exciting and it was cool, but it was year one. We hadn't covered hockey for a while. And, you know, we understand that we had some growing pains too, but I really love our crew. I love being able to cover this league. And I appreciate all the people who understand what I'm trying to do and bring out the best characters and storylines of this game. Um, And I'm sorry if it's annoying to you that I pop in for Gerard Gallant, but let's be honest, it's only a 45 second interview in the middle of the game. Like you guys will live. You guys are good. Emily, can't thank you enough. Thanks so much. And, and, Greg. And, and Paula and Uncle Jay's this year. Okay. Like, I'm just yeah, I, so People don't realize this, but Kaplan is such a strangely popular last name. There was another Emily Kaplan in my high school, actually. So I was, uh, yeah, I was the middle. There were three Kaplan clans in my high school. So that's insane. Were you also called into the principal's office senior year saying you were skipping freshman year bio? Because I was. He oh. was, but it was because he was skipping. All right. <laughs> well, I got, I got, I got called in because I, I, I organized the senior prank and they didn't appreciate it. Oh, uh, yeah. maybe I am part of your Kaplan clan after all. <laughs> Pigs one, two, and four. Emily, thanks so much. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. Okay, it's the end of the show. You know what that means out there listening. You have to listen to me ramble a bunch of names who support our show from the NHL Insiders Club on Discord or our Patreon. You know how this works. I'm going to say all their names in a row. I'm going to try and say them correctly, and I will not. And then uh, at the end, maybe I'll have a ramble about upcoming schedule and something I mentioned to Emily I'm still kind of thinking about. Adam Cassidy, Adam Cohen, Adam Curtulo, Adam Keech. Cheech? Why, I say the name every week. What's wrong with me? Alex Gardner, Anthony Terragata, Ben Waters, Ben Weber, Bill Rattel. Brendan Lacos, Brendan Ma- Brendan Magnum, Brett Gardner. Oh, you're Brett. Your last name's not Gardner at all. It's Granger. That's incredible. I'm the best. <laughs> Brett McGinnis, Brian Doyle, Brian Gallagher, Brian Allen, Chris Finelli, Chris 
Haru, CJ Selwyn, Conrad P. Damage, Daniel Dezen, David Naren, and David Siegel, Dennis Dice, Darian, Eric Stack, Garrett Arenas, Kim Gardner, Cup, Garrett, Garrett Gretzky, McFly. I, I've been struggling with that one recently. Harrison Haskell, Hip Hop, Hip Hip 89, Sauce, Ian Rodriguez, Jake B, James Masker, Jamie Filipponi, Jerry Marquez, JD, John Jacques Francois, Jacques Jean. Nailed it. Jimmy Mock, Jimmy Mock, Jimmy Mack, John Hardesty, John Shea, Johnny Thundercock, Jordan, Josh Catch the Bob, Justin Freeman, Christopher Florida, Christoph Berg. Going to the next page. Lazik, Gronowski, Lou Giordano, Matthew Kime, Meatball the Cat, Mike Buckle, Neil Grover, Nicholas DiNicola, Pascal Perrier, Pavel, Pavel Kodrev, Pro World of Sex Gamer, Randy Tesser, Stigbo Box, Swingard, Tommy Welsh. Top Sequire, Thomas Jr., Tommy O'Neill, Tory from Manhattan, Upstate Vin, Vinny Hay, Will Spectre, and Winston. The Golden Retriever! Uh, mentioned to Emily at the end of the interview there. You know, I just... It's something I think about a lot. More than I should. With other sports. Eight-year contracts are goddamn insane. It's insane when you hand them to anybody. And it's almost a bummer sometimes. When you can sit there... Like, I remember when we signed Mika Zabinajad. And we had three weeks of discussion... If Mika Zibanejad was worth signing. Guys, I got news. Mika Zibanejad is an amazing hockey player. But in, in year eight, he probably won't be. Because most hockey players in year eight, when you sign them after 27 years old, after they've been controlled and had their salary repressed a million times, are not going to be great. And to me, that's just like not fun for the fans. And it's not fair for the players either. I don't know the solution. If I did know the solution, of course, I would propose it. And they wouldn't listen to me because it's the NHL anyway. But... With a situation that, like, I don't know if you guys saw this. Alan Walsh tweeted this out a few weeks ago. It was like salaries from 2004 towards today. And a lot of them were really similar. The NHL gets away with a lot of not paying the players. Whether that's longer-term deals, and I know they like the security, like Emily said. But you know what they also like? A chance to get multiple bags. If they could get a five-year deal, and then another five-year deal, sure they would love that. Not sure how that's ever going to play out. Like, just uh, Trocheck's getting seven years. That's crazy. That's insane. Like, Four-year Trocheck, Sign me up. That's amazing. Three-year Goodrow? Sign me up. That's awesome. These are players that deserve recognition and get shit for their contracts. And that sucks. And it's not fun for the fans either. And I, I do wonder if in the next five years, the NHL realizes, okay, maybe we're making a lot more money with ESPN now. Game is growing. Maybe we could do a five-year max contract. Or is that just not available to the NHL no matter what? Because baseball hands out 13-year contracts now all the time. 10-year contracts to young kids. You have no idea. I mean, you're projecting out pretty well. And you could do the same with like some stars in hockey. Like handing Jack Hughes an 8-year contract. It's probably a good deal, especially when uh, the cap is going up. He's going to prove it. He'll be fine. A couple other players like that as well. Um, Adam Fox obviously getting his bag. But for the most part... Guys don't change teams. That, and that's awesome to keep people on your team for a long time, but that doesn't stop people from getting traded or bought out or whatever. You've seen that with the Rangers a million times. I just wish the league had more of a fan-friendly salary cap, fan-friendly movement. I don't want to have a thesis in economics to understand what's going on in the NHL all the time. And uh, I do think it, it it would be funner for building teams. It would be funner for... For the fans not having to worry about, hey, let's start worrying about year six and seven of Mika Zabinajad's contract. Like, that seems silly. That's stuff, that stuff we've done. We did that. That's fucking insane. Why are we doing that? Uh, on the other hand, I, I do think the NHL is going to make a lot more money over the next few years. I think the sport, I know this sounds stupid, but is legitimately growing with ESPN. 
and TNT. I think TNT is going to be a big part of that and ESPN as well. ESPN, say what you want about cable cutting and everything. They're still, that's how everybody finds it. You listening to this right now, they're not trying to find you. They are not. They're trying to find everybody else that likes hockey or would like to like hockey. And covering the teams and, and the drama that goes along with it, uh, that's how you create brand awareness. And that's how you create interesting stories. When there's drama around something, it, it, it gets the clicks. And sometimes hockey, even though it's just hockey, no drama, uh, the drama in hockey that comes out is all shite. It's all terrible. It's all like stuff you never want to read about. But that's why the Eichel thing was so fun. Because he forced his way out. And guess what? He's good. He's really good. He's still a good player. He's really good. Um, so this was a, a bit of a disorganized rant at the end of the show that I really wanted to get out because I, I just think the NHL needs a revamp on the way they do things. And I, I'm not sure that'll ever come. I don't think I don't know if obviously in my lifetime, but the play I, I want these players to get paid just as much as they're getting paid now for shorter term contracts so they can get multiple opportunities and also get the same amount of money. Maybe that happens, maybe it doesn't as the cap goes up, or do we just keep diluting salaries and stretching them thin comparative comparative percentages and shit like that? Who cares? All right. Uh again, November twelfth. Jake's Dilemma, New York City. If you're around, come hang out. Greg and I will be there. And uh, we have it at BSBOT later this week. I think we're going to do it after the Tuesday game. Um, So it'll be up. You'll get two days of podcasts in a row. Very fun. We'll see you guys then. Love you guys. Bye.